random party weekend. Um, and I think I got more free than anybody else. <laughs> Jesus walked into the room, and um, everybody there was crying uncontrollably. It was incredible, especially me. I think I was the biggest crier of them all. And um, so it was really a very special time. And then, um, of course, it was a lot of fun. There were guns and guns and more guns. You know, people get delivered when they shoot guns. I don't know what it is about that. It's true, though, you know? There's something very exciting about um, killing a clay. I actually saw a duck. Okay. So we're sitting there and we're shooting clays and a duck lands on the water and I'm like, shoot the duck. And all the girls are like, oh, don't shoot the duck. And then John says to me, I don't think we have a license for that. And so I was just like, we, got guns. <laughs> we have guns and we have ammo. Anyway, we didn't shoot the duck, but um, I was raised hunting by, with my dad. So that was something I was very accustomed to. Um, it was a lot of fun. Okay, I'm going to share a dream with you before we start. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do with what I'm going to be talking about, but I think it's important for you to know because I feel like it's a prophetic word for the body of Christ. Um, I had a dream this weekend, and in the dream, I saw all of us there, but we were all reeds, reeds, you know, like reeds in the marsh. We were reeds, and, uh, and there were knots. We all had knots tied on the top of us. And I heard the Lord say, it is time for the promises over the past three years to be fulfilled. And he began to untie the reeds. And, um, and so I believe that what God is saying is that we've, we've entered into a time now where we've been believing for the promises and a lot of the things in our lives have looked exactly the opposite. And it was interesting how God had tied us and it was almost like that he was allowing the nutrients and everything that he was pouring into us and just the places of enduring and overcoming was actually creating character and all of the things that we needed. And now he's untying this, and now the promises are going to come and, and the reeds are going to continue to grow. Amen? So um, I want you to get out your prayer journals or your prophecy journals or whatever it is that you have, and I want you to begin to write down what the promises are from October 2009 until now and begin to declare those things over your life, okay? Because when we get a prophetic word, it's, it's important that we partner with God and we activate it through our faith. Um, <clears throat> tonight, I'm really excited about this. I'm going to be talking about God's grace. Um, I've actually never preached on God's grace. And God's grace is a very controversial subject. Um, but I think it's, gonna, it's important that we have a plumb line about the truth of God's grace. And I think it's important... Making it a challenge for George. Sorry. Okay. Is that better? I think it's important that we get it right. And and we really seek out the truth of, the, of what God had intended when he talked to us about the gospel of grace. 
Um, it's very interesting because being a house of prayer, um, I have um, actually been accused on both sides of the issue of grace. I have, I have been um, accused of um, operating or teaching false grace because I believe that we're to be led by the Spirit and not by the law. Um, even though I'm a house of prayer, and we pray, and we fast, and we do all of these things, we have disciplines in our faith. I believe those disciplines that we should be led by the Spirit in that. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then on the other side of that, um, I was accused of um, having no grace and... Um, and operating in the law because I'm house of prayer. So both of these came because I'm house prayer, um, because I was telling people that they needed to fast and pray and um, be radical givers. And so that, and so I was accused of of operating in the law because I was actually telling people that they needed to do these things. They were like, you know, you're putting that's legalism, and you're putting a law on us by telling us that we had to do that stuff. So, so you have to ask yourself, hmm. Everybody go, hmm. Turn to your neighbor and say, hmm. I'd love to do that. You don't really have to do that, but isn't that just fun? Uh, have y'all ever been to one of those meetings where you're turning to your neighbor every five minutes and going, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> yes. So I want to teach tonight on, on the grace of God. And I want to tell you about what I believe and, 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 and where that place is in grace, in God's grace. You know, being the house of Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4, it says that, that there is a double portion of grace. With shouts of grace, grace, we will move these mountains. And we will see victory in our lives and we'll live these incredible lives. And that's really the intent of God is that we would tap into his grace for one purpose and one purpose alone. And I'm going to share that with you. You see, we were created for this one purpose. What were we created for? Y'all know? Love. We were created for love. We were created to love God. That's our holy calling, to love God. And then out of that place, we actually learn to love ourselves so that then we can love others. And so the grace that God has given us is to energize us and give us the ability to love him so that then we can receive his love. Because he first loved us when we were still sinners. And he called us we were saved by what? We were saved by grace. We were not saved by what we did, but we were saved by grace. And then he continues to pour out this grace so that we can grow in love through our obedience. And so grace, I'm going to talk tonight about four things that he does and how he gives us grace. So God gave us grace so that we can, number one, walk in obedience. Number two, so we can endure. Number three, so we can overcome. 
And number four, so we can finish the race strong. And so he does these things so that we can grow in love. And so every time, every day that there's an opportunity, God is saying, I'm going to pour out my grace. Because today is a day that your heart is going to expand in love. There's this tension and many distortions about the gospel of grace. Grace is not given so that we can live however we want and do whatever we want. That is really a false grace that no matter what, you know, God just said, you know, okay, you're saved, now live however you want. And I'm going to talk about that, and we're going to go to the words of Jesus himself and what he has to say about this. This is not freedom. Living however you want, getting your ticket stamped to go to heaven, and then living however you want and doing whatever you want is not freedom. Freedom is a condition of our hearts. And I want, to tell, I want to read this because this is what the Lord um, showed me today. Freedom is not a lifestyle. Freedom is actually the result of a lifestyle, of the pursuit of love, which transforms the conditions of our hearts. Freedom is what God is wanting us to have in our hearts. Why? Because free people free people and hurt people hurt people. And so he wants to pour out grace so that we can grow in love. As we grow in love and our ability to love God and give God what he gave back to us. And I love how, um, um, what's his name? Last weekend, last Thursday, not last Thursday, the Thursday before that. No, Jake. When Jake was talking about this, it's almost like the cycle of life. You know, how God loved us hits our heart, and it causes a response in love to love him. But we can't even love God without the grace that he's given us to love him back. And as this cycle continues, our hearts continue to grow in our ability to love. And so then we look over and around, and all of a sudden we have this huge capacity to love other people. So then we can extend the grace that we've been given by God in love to other people. It's the, it's the first commandment and the second commandment. Grace is about the first commandment. So that we can actually fulfill this. I remember, you know, when I was growing up, I, I didn't know anything about Jesus. And I didn't know anything about God. But I just remember somebody saying something one time somewhere in my life about the first commandment and about loving God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And I was like, what is that? That seems like an impossibility to me. But see, without the grace of God, it truly is an impossibility to love him that way. And so our prayers should really be, God, give me more grace that I can love you with all my strength. Because I'm not that strong. I'm not that devoted. I'm not that good. And I don't want to try to press in to get to God. I have to have your grace that gives me the ability to press in and get to you. To love you with my whole heart. Because he's after a bride that is a reflection of his love. So when he looks at us, he wants to see us 
as a reflection of himself, which is love. That we would be perfected in love. Because he created us for love, to receive love, and to give him our whole hearts. The grace of God is given to help us with this reality. Turning your Bibles to John 14. John 14. Verse 15, John 14, verse 15. You know, Jesus said himself, it's really interesting because um, the false grace message said that you don't have to do anything to get to God. But Jesus says this, which I think is very interesting in John 14, 15. He says this, if you love me, Keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and He to the uh, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. Okay. This is a if then. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. If you love me, then you will love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. If you love me, there will be evidence of your pursuit of me. And if you do this, then what am I going to do? I will pray the Father, and he will give you a helper. He will. There will be grace for you in your pursuit of me. All right, turn, and he says it again here in verse 23. Chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him, and we will make our home with him. If you love me, pursue me. Our love does not stop at the wedding, but our love continues in the marriage. If I was not pursued by my husband, we would not have a marriage. If I did not pursue my husband's love, we would not have a marriage. Our life did not end at the altar. I didn't decide to just say, okay, well, I'm married now, so I don't really have to try. I don't really have to make an effort because, you know, there's just grace there. You do your jobs as a husband, and I'll do my job as a wife. I don't need to talk to you. I don't need to serve you. I don't need to love you. I don't need to honor you. It's just we're married now. And that's exactly the way the church operates is they act like there's, they're, they're, we're not required to pursue him. It's the, it's, and it's not that we do it perfectly. Even Paul said, you know, uh, well, I do what I don't really want to do, and I don't really want to do what I do. And so he's like, I, I'm, I don't do it perfectly. But, but what I do perfectly is that I access the grace of God in my pursuit. And so I continue, even though I don't do it right, and I'm, in my, and I'm still immature, at least I'm still trying. I'm still trying to pursue God and pursue him in a way and to pour out my affection on him. See, God is saying this, if you love me, then you will obey me. 
the evidence of your love towards me is that you will be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. First commandment, second commandment. I'm asking you, but the first thing's first. See, if we live this way, then he says here, then I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to give you everything you need to continue to get to me. It's all on him. And he gives us this thing. It's so cool. It's invisible. It's this heavenly attribute that actually draws us to him. And all of a sudden, we have this hunger to pray for three hours at a time. Who ever thought that that would be something we would ever want to do? But it's like we're hungry for that. We're hungry for this encounter with the living God. And you can't explain it. You can't, there's no science to it. You know, it's like, what? What do you do? You sit around in a room and pray to an invisible God? What's up with that? And the comprehensive definition of his commandments are listed in the Sermon on the Mount. The purpose is not to get us in an exercise or a checklist to obtain his love. But on the Sermon on the Mount, these are the virtues that will actually prepare us to be available to receive his love. The disciplines of the Sermon on the Mount, and here's the, here's the rub, because people think the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is the law. And I will tell you, the Sermon on the Mount can become the law if we don't do it by the leading of the Holy Spirit. If, if I say to you, all right, Sermon on the Mount is made up of prayer. It's made up of fasting. Here's what God says. I want you to pray. I want you to fast. And I want you to give extravagantly. Now, if I start putting a model to that and I start telling you what to do and how to do it, then we've gotten into the law. And I have actually usurped the role of of God in your life. And that's where a lot of the problems came from when I was accused of being of teaching false grace, and I, I said, I refuse to tell people how to live before God. Because I, I am not going to take the I am not going to take that role and responsibility away from God because He is Lord of their life. And the argument was, well, if you do that, then people won't know, they won't pray, they won't fast, they won't do these things. And I said, no. If I preach the word of God and it has fire on it, then it will cause people to be hungry for this kind of lifestyle. But if I am not preaching according to the spirit that is inviting you into this kind of reality, then of course you're not going to be hungry. Of course you're not going to want to do these things and live this kind of life because this is the kind of life that will awaken your heart in love. Why? Because what it does is it challenges and it causes your negative emotions and your fleshly nature to come down so that your heart will begin to expand in love so you can receive more of God's love so you can give more of God's love back to him. We can only give God what he has given to us. We worship him in spirit and truth so that I cannot love God unless... I have God in me. It takes God to love God, right? Isn't that right? 
So a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle is not so we can earn our way to God or get more of God, but it's so that we can get rid of our wrong thinking and negative emotions, expanding our hearts to love. You see, these wrong thinking and negative emotions made up of jealousy, pride, and all of these things, what they do is they keep us separated from God. They keep our hearts dull. May was talking this past Sunday about offense and how at the end of the age, Satan is going to present the bride with an opportunity to be offended at their brothers and sisters. It's an invitation. It's a bait. He's going to pull you into a place where you will be offended and therefore you will make decisions based on an offense. Every single one of us has has met this challenge. Every single one of us has been offered an opportunity to be offended at someone that we love. And the and the offense never comes with the, somebody who's on the periphery. But it's someone who's very close to us. And and if we take the bait as May was talking about, then what happens is that a root of bitterness will begin to spring up in us and it separates us in love. It separates us from the love of God and it separates us from the love of people because we, our hearts begin to atrophy and die in the place that we've allowed that bitterness to take root. And I tell you what, I refuse. I don't care. And we've got to determine up front how we're going to live. And, and, and if you got into this to be taken out mid-game, I'm in this to win, and you need to determine that you are in this to win and that you're not going to allow the enemy to steal your love by allowing you to be offended at those that are around you. Because I will be the bride of Christ. He is not going to win I'm going to win because I have the living God inside of me and it may take a little wrestling for me to wrestle this out where I have to really fight for my heart to be alive in love. But that is what we're called to do as overcomers. They'll call us overcomers because we don't have anything to overcome, right? So if you haven't had an opportunity to get that teaching, I really encourage. May did a great job really conveying that truth about defense. The Sermon on the Mount lifestyle facilitates growth in love for God so we can experience more of his love for us. Turning your Bibles to Acts 20. You know, Paul, I think we can all agree that Paul really wasn't a slacker, right? Clearly. Okay, well, Paul talks about the gospel of grace. So if Paul is teaching about the gospel of grace, but yet he's a guy that he is on point all the time. He's fasting, praying in tongues more than anybody. He's a little bit of a bragger, come on. He's praying all the time. And what is he doing? He's challenging, challenging us to go further than he did. He's like, come on, fast more than I fasted. Pray more than I prayed. Come on, guys, go for it. Was he under the law? No, he's like, this is the gospel of grace. God will give you 
what you got burning in you so that your your flame can burn brighter. So let's read it. Um, 20 verse 18. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. And here he says, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. (laughs) Now, see, if he was here today, somebody would tell him that he's all into works. Yep, you're into works. He's like, no, no. I've been given the grace to run this race because my heart is alive in love. And it just keeps increasing. And he keeps going to God saying, God, strengthen me in love. Strengthen me so that I can love you and give you more. And this is, this is I mean, it's amazing to me. This guy had this incredible life. And every single one of us are like, we want that life. It's an amazing life what he did for God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among you, I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. So he's saying here, this is the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is the place where God has given me everything that I need. He gives you everything that you need to accomplish the holy calling on your life to grow in love to a point that the things and the persecutions that are coming at you, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because he understands that these are the things that are going to create you growing in love. The the people that overcome and the people that endure actually are the ones that are being created into the bride. Those that have been given the grace to endure, the grace to overcome, the grace to be obedient to God and to do what he tells us to do in the the land of the impossible. Turn to 2 Timothy. Paul, likewise, just like Jesus, was obedient unto death. He had the grace to go all the way and to finish strong. 2 Timothy 1.9. I'm sorry, 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, no, nor meet his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. How many of you have heard that, um, that we're not supposed to suffer 
Okay. Well, that must be from somebody that doesn't live on earth. Because, and I honestly thought that because I was a lukewarm Christian, a frozen chosen before I got saved. And I thought, oh, good, I am going to have an intellectual salvation and I am going to believe here about what you're saying about God. I have no relationship with him. But anyway, um, I really thought if I became a Christian, then everything in my life would go really well. I mean, am I the only one here that felt that way? American Christianity 101. All right, verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Okay, so here you've got no time, no earth, no heavens, nothing's been created. So before time began, grace was appointed to you for your salvation and for your calling. And it wasn't according to your works. You cannot work the works that you need to work in order to fulfill your holy calling. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus, what are the works that we can do to to work the works of works? You can tweet that one. (laughs) That was a mouthful. But he said, all you have to do is believe. You just have to believe. You know, you all accomplish more when you finally surrender and say, okay, okay, I'm just going to be the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to give me the grace to pray. Give me the grace to fast. Give me the grace to, to give extravagantly. How many of you have ever had to give money, the last amount of money that you had in your checking account? How many of you have ever had to do that? Okay. Are you hungry? Did you get kicked out of your apartment? Somebody come and take your house from you. Did you lose your car because you gave that? No. What ended up happening is when God said give and you gave, he looked at that and he said, ooh, it's the widow's mite. She gave the last thing she had and then just pours out on you. I would rather tap into God's extravagance than to hold on to my lack. Amen? And that's the way it is with each one of these things. Prayer. I would rather tap into God's extravagance than hold on to the little bit of time that I'm giving away to him and and put it in my daytimer and do something else like watch, I don't know, what's a show? I don't watch TV. Survivor. That's what John watches, Survivor, okay? So I would much rather give him my time than, than watch Survivor. No offense, honey. Why? Because it's in this place that you're actually going to achieve the things that God has for you. Because he said that when you do this, you're accessing grace in that place of prayer. You're accessing grace in that place. When I tell you to fast and you fast, you're accessing a grace that begins to expand your heart in love. And what it does is it begins to activate the things in the heavens so that heaven can come down to earth and you can step into it. You will get more accomplished with a sermon on the life, uh, sermon on the mount lifestyle, then you will going about trying to make things happen for God. I've tried it the other way. So in this particular 
some scripture. I held on to this very dearly. John and I were going through a really hard time in our lives, and, and a lot of you have heard this testimony, but I want to tell it for those of you that haven't. Um, our daughter was in an accident, and she was quadriplegic. She was about 21 years old. And at the time she had her accident, John had started a new business about two years before. And um, so the business, you know, it takes a while for a business to make money. And um, for us, the business, I mean, John was really starting from the ground up. And so we just saw a lot of money going out and no money coming in. And so we had gone through all of our savings and, um, and we had to, we put our house on the market. We lived in a very nice home. We put our house on the market and I sold my car. You know, we were just like anything that we can do to get some more money so that we know, because we know that God, John knew that God had told him to start this business. And so we were in that season where we were being obedient, but yet the promises hadn't come yet. And then Bliss's accident on top of it, and we're like, what is going on? This is crazy. And so I was in a season where I was really having to um, endure a lot of suffering and a lot of hardship. And I remember this one particular day. It was I, I, I was so busy with bliss that I, I wasn't in worship and I wasn't in prayer, and so I was just I was just dry. My 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 soul and my spirit were dull. And the accuser began to talk to me, and he began to talk to me about John, and he began to tell me all of the things about John that he wasn't. Well, if John were doing this, my life wouldn't be perfect. If John were a better this, then his daughter wouldn't have made the choices that led to all of this. And it was all about the suffering that I was going through at that time. If John, and so the list started getting longer and longer and longer. And I started to believe the voice of the accuser about my husband. And then, the, then he began to tell me, how I could leave John and nobody would think that it would be bad because of all of the things that John wasn't doing and all of the reasons why he wasn't good enough. And the Lord broke in. I thank God that the Lord broke in. He broke in and he said to me, how long will you be led by your emotions? How long Will you not take this voice captive and get into alignment with my word? And I cried out and I said, God, I'm asking. And I remembered this. I had read this scripture here about the grace that, that from the beginning of time, there was an account in heaven and it had all the grace that I needed. All I needed to do was to access and make a withdrawal of grace so that I could be sustained during this season. And so I cried out at that moment. I said, God, I'm asking. I mean, I'm just crying and I'm weeping. I said, I need grace. I need grace. And all of a sudden, in less than a minute, everything shifted. And the colors and everything, I didn't even realize I was seeing the world in such a dull way. That I had been eating from the earth when God had called me to eat from heaven. And he took my eyes from my own suffering and blaming everybody around me and those that I love. And I, my eyes went up and I saw God. And he changed my perspective because he just poured out grace on me. 
And beloved, I'm telling you, it happened in an insta-second. It was so soon, and all of a sudden, I, I, I remembered who this man is. And I remembered everything about him that I loved so much. Because everybody is broken. Everybody is. And you can point the finger at any given day, at any given person, and you can point out all of the reasons why they're unlovely. But God said, how long will you be led by your emotions? And so he gave me the grace to stop that. Now, um, I want you to look at chapter 2, and I'm going to go ahead and and tie this up. Chapter 2 here in 2 Timothy. You therefore, my son, be strong. Oh, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And he's like, listen, you are operating in the earth. You are entangling yourself with the cares and the concerns of this life, but you're not even supposed to be involved in that. Because I've given you grace to access love and, to be, and begin to flow in this cycle of loving me, loving you, you loving me, me loving you. And he said, but you've, you've taken your eyes off of that. And he's like, get back in this place so that you can grow in love. Get back in this place. What are you doing? Pursue me. Ask for grace. I will give you the grace. And here is the place where the grace of God gets um, perverted. Turn to Jude 1, 4. It says this. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And the the word lewdness actually means lacking moral constraint. And so those that are preaching that the gospel of grace is a gospel to do whatever, you know, there's just grace for that. There's grace to do whatever you want to do. You can just hang out in a lukewarm area of your life. You don't actually have to pursue God. That's not the gospel. And he's saying here, and Paul says it. He says, listen, Who has bewitched you to to talk to you about a different gospel? This gospel does require that we do something. And that we respond to the love that he's given us. And even though right after you get saved, it may come in a little seed form. And we may be very immature in our love. God looks at that and he's like, I mean, you know, my grandchildren, when they're giving me their love, you know, they don't know how to love. All they know to do is to come and hug me. That's, that's, that's their way. They don't know how to serve. They don't know how to, they don't know any of that yet. And so they're loving me in an immature way. But man, it just melts my heart. And so I pour my love back on them. They pour their love on me. I pour my love back on them. And now that my children are older, and I have, you know, 
seven kids who are all now adults, they've grown in love and they understand how to love. They understand how to serve and help and encourage. And, and so it's so now our relationship has changed. And it's not all on me, but now there's a mutual relationship that's going on there. Amen? All right. You guys good? Jared, you want to come up? So here's what I'm asking God for us. I'm asking God that we can access his grace tonight so that we can love him with our whole hearts. That we can access his grace tonight, that we can expand our hearts in love. I don't know about you, but I want to run as fast I want to run as high. I want to go as deep as I can in love. And I want to, I don't want to come this far. I don't want to have invested myself in God for years and years and years and fall and not allow my heart to fully be awakened in love. And so I am going to do what it says in Proverbs 4. I'm going to guard my heart with all of my strength, for out of it the issues of life flow. So I'm surrendering all. I live a lifestyle of Sermon on the Mount. And I unashamedly say that I fast and I pray and I give extravagantly. Because those things have caused my heart to come alive in love. And in the process of all of that, I've begun to take on the virtues, and you will begin to take on the virtues of the Beatitudes. And he will bless you in that place. And he'll give you heavenly currency that no man can ever take from you. And so tonight, I want to pray grace, grace over you. And I want you to come up because a lot of you have really been struggling in your lives. And you've been believing the lie of the enemy. And you feel weak in your faith. And I just want to lay hands on you and I want to pray the grace of God over you. I want to pray that God would strengthen you to love him with your whole heart. So Father, I pray that you would release the grace that we can even walk in the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, that you would release the grace for fasting, that you would release the grace for prayer, that you would release the grace that we could give extravagantly. Father, that we can love you with our whole hearts, with our souls, with all of our strength. God, I pray that there would be a convergence in these alls, in the place where all and all meet, your all and our all. I'm asking God that in that place, that place where we converge with you, 
that even in my immature love, God, I can meet you in that place of your all. I'm asking God for you to expand us and increase our ability to love you. Release a double portion of grace over us now, God. I just say grace, grace over the house of Zerubbabel. Father, that we would be known for our love. That we would be known, Father, as those who extravagantly love you. And people see us. They see our love, God. And they say, I don't know what you have, but I have to have what you have. And we would extravagantly love each other. God, give us the grace. Give us the grace.